We are live on a Wednesday night. Mark Abrams here uh, with the interview I've been wanting to do for, for a little while now with my, my good friend, fellow Philly native herself, who's now lounging out in the good life in Phoenix, Arizona, are we at? Uh-huh. Michelle Rosado is... Most hey. people know. Most people may never know her name because they know the Raging Babe. But it's Michelle Rosado. What's what you, what's up, Michelle? What's good? What's good, man? Not much. Uh, not much. Uh, just uh, how's everything been going? Uh, obviously. Good, but before we get started, I do want to say that when I did come onto the boxing scene in 2011, there were two people from the very beginning that kind of welcomed me in. And you were one of them, and the other one was Mark Ortega. So I'll never oh, wow. forget that. It was you and Mark Ortega who completely, like, just from the very beginning was like, hey, if you need anything, I'm here. What's your story? So, like, I'll never forget that. Well, I appreciate that. I remember long. I remember that. It was a long time ago. And uh, yeah. many of the fans out there on, on uh, the many outlets that were on uh, have any questions or comments for Michelle or myself. Uh, feel free to, uh, to chime in. So, uh, so what have you been up to? Obviously, uh, since the middle of March, uh, you're, uh, well, everyone, boxing has, you know, pretty much been dead uh, because of the yeah. coronavirus uh, pandemic. So what have you been up to? Well, honestly, when it all happened, I felt dead. I mean, I really felt like I was mourning a person. Like when that show died, the Philly the Philly special was scheduled for March 27th. I felt like someone died. That show was so big and we had such great fights and the city was buzzing. The gyms were buzzing. Everything was falling right in line. You know, when all the virus thing happened and we had to postpone it, there was literally 66 tickets left online. And I just felt like somebody died. Like I had to really mourn that show. Like I fell off the planet for the most part. And I secluded myself. I came back to Phoenix to quarantine here um, just because, you know, the weather's a little nicer and stuff. They're almost like oblivious to the coronavirus out here. I mean, they're like outside and, you know, still living their life out here. Um, but I was like in a really low place. I mean, I just could not believe what had happened. And then I was a little naive, like, oh, okay, we'll be back in June. No problem. We're just going to postpone it. And then Philadelphia just kept getting worse with the cases and the governor, you know, every couple of weeks kept putting out updates and they were getting worse, not better. And I had to face the reality, like this show may not ever happen. This sh we may not have a live show period in Philadelphia this year. You know, what am I going to do? This is my livelihood. I don't have a plan B. So I just had to realize a bunch of things like number one, I need a plan B for you know things like this you know and uh man it was it's just been tough it's it's been real tough well, well if you don't mind let's let's go back to to mid-march i mean you're someone who um you know when you promote a show you you, you know you go an extra mile you're you're with yeah. billboards and all kinds of stuff to help promote your show so almost like a a fighter you know, training for a fight. I mean, you're doing two a days, three a days, and then when I do, when when you get the call and you know the air basically gets sucked out of the balloon. I mean, you know, talk about those first couple of days and you know what was going through your mind with with all the time, money, effort, energy the, that you put into. 
Yeah, the first thing I did was, and to be 100% real and honest, the first thing I did was I went out and I got drunk. Oh. Like, I was like, yo, I need a margarita. I need a couple margaritas. I mean, I was devastated. Like I said, I felt like somebody died. When that show died, I felt like a person died. Like, I, I was thinking about the fighters. I was thinking about the people that worked for me. All the work that we had already put in. You know, it, man. So that's the first thing I did. Um, what was the question? That was the- just this first. You, know, you said the first couple days. Yeah. You know, afterwards. Oh, it- right, right. Uh, let's see. What else did I do? I reached out to all of my sponsors, all of my partners, and you know what? Thank God that we have such good relationships because they were all very supportive. I didn't know what they were going to say. They could have easily said, "Send us back all our money." They could have said, we're out. And instead, they're like, put it towards the next show. Hold on to that. We have a lot of loyal customers that have gone to Russell's shows for like 20, 30 years that bought tickets ahead of time. You know, they're kind of like our season ticket holders. And the same thing, you know, a lot of them just said, hey, hold on to it. We want our same seats for when the show does happen, which was a blessing because doing these shows, there's a lot of upfront money I have to put out. I don't have a hedge fund to pull from. I don't have an online streaming service to pull from. I don't have a TV package where I could like move this money from this show here and we could just reimburse myself. No, there is no reimbursement. Like I can't reimburse myself. So I lost thousands of dollars with this postponement. There's money that I put out that I, there's no way I could get it back. So I just thought, oh my God, if all these people want everything back, that's going to be a tough pill to swallow, but they trust me. We've worked together for years. I have really strong partners, strong sponsors. They believe in the product they, they just, you know, when they email me or call me, they, they just kind of want to know, Hey, any good news? What's going on? Do we know when the next fight is, you know, they're just kind of all ready to kind of get back in it. So that was a blessing, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, just thousands of dollars, but even with the billboards, like you said, you know, thank God my, my rep called and said, listen, when the show is ready to go again, we're going to give you those same billboards for free. And uh, You know, th- then that's years of building that relationship. Because, and I almost cried like, oh my God, thank you so much. Cause I would not have been able to afford two more billboards on the next show. No way. And everyone who's asking questions, keep asking. We'll, we'll, we'll you know, we, we got nothing oh, but time and we'll, you know, we, no, we got some, we got some, uh, some bring it questions. on, bring it on. Got, and, and, and I'll ask them when we get to those, um, uh, you know, the, those parts of the conversation. So take us back to the beginning. Uh, obviously I know your story's out there, but for some people who may be just tuning in, uh, your love for boxing, probably, I know star as a child watching the fights. I know with, with your father, take us back to the beginning on how you got involved and got interested in boxing. Okay. So long story short, when I was a little girl, my dad always watched boxing. We would have family over fight parties. Um, and so when I was really young, I just remember certain fighters that he liked, like Roberto Duran and Tommy Hearns and Sugar Ray Leonard, but I didn't really understand. I was still too little. But when Mike Tyson came on the scene, that's when I kind of really started to understand what I was watching and what my dad's passion was all about. And actually, his first love was baseball. So I'm a huge Phillies fan. 
I played softball in high school. Yeah, like I love baseball. And then boxing was like the second thing. So, you know, Mike Tyson like really grabbed me like, whoa, you know, and then when Tito Trinidad hit the scene, that's when I fell in love. Like I fell in love with the sweet science. I fell in love with the glory of it, the sacrifices that the fighters make, their stories, the pride, the guts, the heart. Like I just completely fell in love with the sport. Um, and then my father passed away of cancer in 1997 and his passion for boxing just like lived on through me. So even when I went to college, I would have everybody come, you know, we would meet up and watch the fights or we would go somewhere to watch the fights. And when I moved back to Philly, I would have people come to my apartment, you know, when there was the big pay-per-view fights and stuff. Like it was just something I always did. Um, and then when I moved to Arizona in 06 for my engineering career. I'm a mechanical engineer by trade. And I moved out here for opportunity and I started asking around, like, is there boxing out here? Like, you know, Philly boxing is like a religion. There's a show every month, maybe every week back then, you know, like there was a lot of shows, gyms on every corner, it's like a religion. And I come out here and I just, you know, there wasn't a lot of shows, a lot going on. So the more I dug into it, I started to find out that there was a lot of corruption in the Arizona Boxing Commission back in around that time, like by that time, it was like probably 2009, 2010. And um, they were passing these really harsh immigration laws. So Bob Arum, top rank, pulled out of Arizona. Oscar De La Hoya pulled out of Arizona. They're like, we're not doing shows there no more with these harsh immigration laws that you guys are trying to pass. And then again, there was a lot of corruption, forging medicals, bouncing checks. Promoters were coming here and just like using up these fighters and not treating them right not treating them fairly. And then I actually met a fighter who was amateur that wanted to turn pro. I became very good friends with him, very close with him, and met the matchmaker out here who was helping you know, him make his pro debut. And the more I'm listening and the more I'm learning and going to these terrible shows out here, I was like, man, I could do this. Like this, what the heck? There's gotta be a better way. And again, I was very naive. I had no idea. I didn't know how to get sponsors. I didn't know how to make a fight. I didn't even know what they got paid. Um, but the matchmaker out here in Arizona, Mike Sanchez, who I'm still very close to till this day, took me under his wing, helped me make the fights, helped me with the commission. I read the commission laws and regulations like the Bible. Like I read it from page one to page 500. I wanted to make sure I didn't break any rules. I wanted to make sure that I was abiding by the guidelines and I, I mean, I just took it serious from the very beginning, even though I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And then the first show was a big hit. We had a terrific main event that Mike Sanchez made. We had a sold out crowd and it was like the gift and the curse, you know? So I had a lot of fun and I felt like I threw a big party. That's what I felt like after the show. I'm like, oh, wow, this is great. And instead people are like, who is this girl? What is she doing? She's not even from here. How'd she come in here and do this show? And I really didn't think it was rocket science if you had some organization and some good communication skills, right? And then you hire people who are experts in their lane. I'm not a publicist. I'm not a matchmaker, right? So you hire those types of people to do that job for you. Um, and next thing you know, I get a phone call from the Phoenix New Times. And they're like, hey, we want to interview you. You know, you did this big show. There's all these immigration laws going on, all these big promoters pulled out of Arizona, and here you are doing shows. And we did a little photo shoot, we interviewed, 
I had no idea I was going to be on the cover. I go to work one day. I was still doing my engineering gig. I was trying to balance that all. I mean, listen, I was counting pennies on my living room floor, my first show. And to make sure that those fighters got paid. I'm not a millionaire. I don't got a lot of money. I had no sponsors. I didn't know how to get them at that time. So, I mean, literally the night before the show, we're counting change on my floor. Like, it was real. I was drinking like one cup of coffee a day because it was free at work. <laughs> or like a can of tuna fish. I, I No matter what, them fighters were going to get paid even if I had to starve. You know what I mean? So, it was, it was just like that. I had too much respect for fighters. And so I did the interview. I go into work one day. I'm at my computer in the office. And one of our field technicians walks in with a stack of ma magazines like this and plops them on my desk. And I go, what? They put me on the cover. They dubbed me the Raging Babe. And that was all she wrote. That's where I got the name. I copyrighted it, trademarked it, ran with it. And I just, I, I don't know. I just took off from there and it, it had a life of its own. I met Jackie Callen. She took me under her wing very early. Um, but I knew I did not want to get into management. I, I knew that was not my lane. Number one, I don't like babysitting. Number two, I don't like when people are real needy, you know, like I don't have kids. So it's hard, you know, being a manager because you, you know, you end up taking care of, of these guys, you know, and Literally. I just knew that wasn't my, yeah, I just knew that wasn't my lane. Like, yo, I, I, I need my rent paid. Yo, that's not me. Like, I, I got my own rent to pay. But um, I knew my lane was promotion. Like, I knew the marketing side, the sponsorship development, the community. Like, I just knew that that was my lane. And I knew I was going to need a mentor. And so, actually, I went to work with Mayweather Promotions for a little while because they started sponsoring my Raging Bay brunches. And so I started doing like their social media management and, you know, learning what they were doing, but on a much bigger scale. Like I was working like Mayweather Guerrero fights, Mayweather Canelo, Mayweather Maidana, like a whole nother level where we're working 16, 18 hour days at the MGM Grand running all over the place. But I knew my heart was in club shows. Like I knew it. Like the glitz and the glam is cool but that's not my lane. You got to know your lane. Like I know my lane is club shows where the heart of these fighters are, you know, developing them, you know, to go on to be world champions. Um, because not all, all of them are coming out of the Olympics with six figure deals or signing with big managers or whatever, whatever. So I met Bam, Brittany Rogers from Philly on Facebook. And she's like, you know, you should really meet Russell Peltz next time you're in town. I'm like, really? She's like, yeah, you know, you'd be great with us. And so I met Russell at one of Gabe's fights. It was when he fought Golovkin. That's the first time that I met Russell. And um, he didn't say much. You know, Russell, he's kind of like, yeah, he's not Mr. Social Butterfly or, you know, like Mr. Personality. If you don't know him, once you do know him, you see a whole nother side of him. But at first, you know, he was, that was it. And then Gabe, a few months after that, got the Jay Leon fight in Vegas. And I got to spend time with Russell there again. And then Gabe goes on to fight Kid Chocolate. So I saw Russell again at Atlantic City. And then finally, it's like, okay, look, I want to work with you. I want to learn from you. I'll intern. I'll carry the spit bucket. I'll carry your briefcase. I don't care. And, and that's just what happened. I would fly myself into Philly. I would do what I had to do. 
I absorb all of his knowledge like a sponge. Um, and he's just been the best mentor ever. I'm like the luckiest person in boxing. Well, give me, uh, obviously, you mentioned the Hall of Famer, Russell Peltzer. I know uh, we talked before uh, we went on a couple of, like uh, sayings or quotes or stories that maybe ha- has resonated with you that, that, you know, is at the top of your checklist when you're, you know, starting to promote a fight. Oh, okay. Well, I was going to give you the three things That's that will always perfect. stick with me that Russell has said to me over the years. Number one is um, always do the right thing. So even when it's not the easiest thing to do, do the right thing because, you know, in the long run, you'll be okay. They can't say you stole from them. You cheated them. You're a thief. You're a liar. You know, you got to stand on your name. So always do the right thing. Number two is once a comp customer, always a comp customer. So, you know, I'm not giving away the house. I'm not giving away a hundred comps. I think, you know, for his 50th year anniversary show, I think we had like 11 comps and that was a lot. So, you know, this is my business. The fighters don't get paid if we don't do a live gate. Uh, I don't make any money if we don't sell tickets. So, you know, papering the building doesn't work, giving out a bunch of comps because of, well, well, you know, this guy and this, like, hey. You don't, you don't you have know? to tell me about all the shows yeah. I've worked. You know? And I always, and I tell people, I tell fighters, I tell my friends, look, I think my family buys tickets to come to my shows, okay? And I'm like, look, I don't go to your business asking you for free stuff. If you work at the post office, I'm not coming in saying, hey, ship this box for free for me. You know, if you work at the electric company, I'm not asking you for free electric. So you can't call me asking me for free tickets. This is my business. Um, And once I break it down like that, usually people understand like, yo, she's right. You know, if you have a roofing company, I'm not going to call you like, yo, put a new roof on my house for free. So, um, so that's the second thing. And then the third is don't ever judge a fighter until he's fought. Don't ever rate a fighter until he's fought a Philly fighter. So those are the three things. Yeah. Interesting. Those are three things that'll stick with me forever. How much, you know, obviously you grew up right outside of Philly and uh, Mm -hmm. you're a Philly girl, went to Temple. You know, you're working in, uh, you had a great engineering job. I know you talked about before, but I mean, I mean, boxing just really took you. I mean, what do you think when you're going on these, these jobs, which were probably, you know, million dollar jobs. And, you know, when you're trying to figure out, you know, uh, a job for the engineer. And I mean, you thinking about fights while you're like maybe yeah. giving presentations and stuff like yep. that. Yep. Uh, absolutely. And what I started doing is every meeting I would go to, whether I was meeting with an engineer or a medical person or a property, ma- whoever I was meeting with some way, somehow I would bring up boxing, even if it was like, Hey, do you watch boxing or Hey, who's your favorite fighter? Or uh, the, it, I, I became obsessed. You know what I mean? It was like an addiction. And I just knew after a while that I had to follow my passion. And engineering wasn't my passion. It was a good career. I lived nice. I had luxury things. I traveled a lot. And I had to pretty much make that decision, like follow my passion or have a really nice, easy, breezy life. You know, and I'm thinking by now, I probably would have been married. I probably would have had kids. I would have had a big house. I would have you know, I'd have been just living really good, but that's, 
that, that, that wasn't where my heart was. My passion was I got to pursue this boxing thing. I want to make a difference. You know, I'm in love with this sport, even though the business is like treacherous and nasty and conniving. But I thought, well, I want to be the one to be different. I don't want to be conniving. I don't want to be nasty. So, you know, maybe I could bring something different. So I gave up everything. I cut up my credit cards, cut off my cable, got rid of my car. Every sacrifice you can think of, a love life, having kids, a social life, family functions. Like I just knew like I had to cut it all off cold turkey. And, and I think it paid off. I mean, until this fucking coronavirus happened, you know, I was like right on my way. And then this, this was a major blow, this virus. I mean, not only did I lose thousands of dollars that I can't get back, but even looking at the rest of the year, like, how am I going to make it? What am I going to do? I, I don't have a TV package. I don't, I don't have a hedge fund. I don't, I don't have those things. How am I going to make it the rest of the year? It's scary as shit. Uh, you like say you promote in Arizona and Philadelphia. I know, especially before your first fight, I know I was, you know, talking to you uh, in the days before that you were scared, you were nervous, especially putting on a product in front of the Philadelphia fans. Talk about, you know, the Philadelphia boxing fan. You can't, you can't fool Philly fans. You know, you, you can't serve up a bad product. You can't serve up mismatches and that stuff. Like if you're going to do that, you go to North Carolina to do that, you know, go, go somewhere else. and, 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 And you did that. Well, yes, we did. Yep, sure did. Sure did. So she speaks from experience. Got everybody knocked out. But um, (laughs) (laughs) um, no. So you can't fool them. You have to really step up your game. Um, you got to grow some alligator skin doing this in Philly. Um, it's 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 hard, man. It's hard, but. It's, it's where I want to be. I love doing shows in Arizona, too. Way different. This is a more Mexican demographic. You know, they love their boxing, Hispanics. They have big families. You know, the promotion is completely different, completely different than in Philly. Philly's tough, man. You got to invest. You got to market. You got to get out there. You got to get in the streets. You got to get in the gym. You know, there's so many good fighters. How do you decide which fighter goes on your car? I mean, it's just... It's the real deal in Philly. And we're going to get back to, to your the, the boxing and your cards in, in, in a couple minutes. Uh, let me um, see if we got any questions here. Um, here we go. My man, Ryan Hannigan. If the ban was lifted tomorrow, what would be the dream headliner main event you would like to promote in Philly? The same one I had for March 27th. Stevie Ortiz, Damon Allen. There was so much on the line there. There's that neighborhood rivalry that I wanted to bring back this year to Philly with the North Philly versus West Philly. Um, Those guys, they were ready to go. They were going to be in the center of that ring, and neither one of them was going to let up. They were going to both bring their left hooks with them. They were both saying that they were going to knock each other out. Their trainers, which we didn't even get to put this out there, but Chino and Bomac, they started having some words, and they they wanted to put up bets Mm. on the fight. And it was getting, you know, serious. And then we got picked up by Impact Television. You know, when has a club show been on TV? That's how good that main event was. You know, it it was a showbox quality card that got picked up by the Impact Network. So as soon as everything opens back up, that's still the fight that I want. And hopefully 
that will still be the fight that we could put on when things get back to normal. Okay, well, like I said, we'll get back to the fights in a second. All while you're promoting fights and getting into boxing and getting into the actual promoting of events, you uh, you you met you branch out on a couple different projects. One you mentioned before, so we'll start with that one. Uh, the brunches you've run uh, what about four or five now? Very successful brunches with uh, boxing moms and women in boxing. Uh, talk about the, that idea, the metamorphosis yeah. of that, and, and uh, where we are at today with, with, with that uh, um, with those events. So in 2011, when I came into the game, I there, I got a lot of backlash. I'm a woman. I'm Latina. It was just really hard. I got called all types of groupies, ugly, fat. I mean, they. I just was attacked every which way. And then um, I just said, man, there's got to be more women in this sport. And then slowly but surely, I started meeting them. And that's when I came up with the idea with, you know what, why don't we have like our own brunches where it's like our own fishbowl. It's our own little network where we can get together for brunch. We could laugh. We could cry. We could fight. We could exchange business cards. We could share our triumphs. We could share our struggles. You know, maybe we could help each other out with stuff. And that's exactly what happened. A lot of the women ended up getting close, becoming friends. We've exchanged numbers. So we've had about eight or nine of them, actually. Eight or nine, okay. um, but they kept, But they kept getting bigger and bigger, which means more expensive. And it was harder for me to get sponsors to cover the cost, you know, because they just kept getting. So my last brunch, I think I had like 128 women there. Hmm. And, and I don't discriminate. I don't care if you work for Showtime, HBO. I don't care if you work for Al Heyman, Bob Arum, Oscar. I don't care about that. It was... It was about the women in boxing. It wasn't about, oh, who do you work for? Who's your fighter? All those politics and everything. No, that's not what it was about. So they were very successful. Um, And actually, the other day, I was on this WBC show with Christina Poncher and Brittany Goosen and some of the other women. And, and, you know, we're like, we got to do this again. So I haven't done one in like two years. So maybe like the next mega fight, you know, maybe it'll be like Wilder Fury 3, where you just know everybody's going to be there. So I definitely got planned for another one, but it, it helped a lot of people. And then the Boxing Moms, as I'm promoting these shows, mm-hmm. okay, whether they're top rank cards or our shows, I find myself dealing with the moms a lot of these fighters. So the dad and the trainers, they get a lot of limelight, right? They get a lot of attention. They get a lot of camera time. But it's really the mom behind the scenes that's holding it down. I mean, she's the chauffeur. She's the nutritionist. She's the street team. She's the ticket seller. I mean, she comforts him. She's, she's everything. And that's why a lot of these fighters, they break down when you bring up their mom. Like, their mom, nine times out of ten, you know, in boxing, single mom, working two jobs or whatever to get him to the next amateur tournament, finally to get to the pros. Like, I feel like we got to give him a lot more gratitude in boxing than what we do. Well, that segues into another question from one of the fans out there watching, Robert Cartagena. I enjoyed episode one of Boxing Moms featuring Tammy Adorno. What did Michelle enjoy um, most about the filming of that episode? And what is she most excited about? to present in the future episodes? Well, Tammy's extraordinary. You know, she's got like six kids and every day is a reality show with them. Two of her sons are fighters. So 
it's bad enough when you get one going through the ropes, you know, to kind of get hit in the head for a living, but you got two of them on the same card. It was fun seeing her crazy and how she's even keel about it. Like, she's just like, hey, chill out. I got this. You know, like, she even said that on camera, like, whoa, relax. This is every day, you know, all the chaos and everything. So she's just such a strong woman, so extraordinary. And what episode one did was it had other boxing moms reaching out to me and her saying, wow, we don't feel alone. We go through that too. We feel like that. We cry. We feel our son's pain. You know, how hectic training camp can be. So they were just like really thankful. I've had a, a few moms reach out to me, like some big name, like some fighters, some very well-known fighters where their mothers have reached out to me, wanting to be a part of it. How can they help? They would love to, you know, be on an episode because I'm not trying to exploit anybody. This isn't, you know, love and hip hop. So, or basketball wise, I mean, this is like real, real drama, nothing fabricated about it. Um, so it's cool. I've been looking for a partner, whether it's ESPN, The Zone, Netflix, who, it could be a promoter. It could be top rank, golden boy, Al Heyman, but I need a partner because there is a cost to doing that. I mean, you're following people around. Um, if I, if I could, if I had more financial backing, I probably would have liked to got in with Tammy like the month before instead of just during fight week. Um, so that's what I'm trying to do right now. I'm, I'm pitching the show to various networks and various promoters and hoping I could get a, a partner in this because not only do you see the moms, you know, and everything they go through, but you get to know the sons better too. And not all of them are promoted that well or marketed that well. I've had so many people say, wow, I didn't even know who Joseph Gorno was. I'm a fan now. Oh, my God, I didn't know Jeremy and da-da-da. Like, I love seeing him. So not only did you know her, but you got to know the fighters, too. Now, you, I mean, these are like your three major projects. I believe the, promote, the promoting the fights is obviously the biggest undertaking. Yeah. I mean, you probably can only do the energy that you um, – give to each project you probably you can only do one at a time if i'm not mistaken or can you promote uh, fight and well do well last year we we got slammed we had a show top rank came and then matchroom came it was like three shows boom 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 that we were working on and we're like a small little outfit i mean it's russell me bam you know what i mean it's not like we have a staff of 20 like these other companies so the time we had three shows on the books at once, that was tough. I mean, me and Russell were at each other's neck, you know, screaming at each other. And, you know, it, it was it was a lot. Um, you have to find that balance. But, you know, you, you, you still enjoy it. It's a sickness. It's a disease. So, I mean, I think two shows on my plate is kind of what I can handle until, mm -hmm. like, you know, we grow or I hire more people, you know, which I want to get there one day. But, yeah, it's hard to do more than that. Uh, Ryan Hannigan just asked, will Boots and his mom be part of the uh, Boxing Moms? So, yeah. So, Boots' mom came to our Boxing Moms breakfast in Atlantic City when we were filming Tammy. And at first, she was a little hesitant to come. I found this out through Bozy and Boots that she wasn't quite sure if she wanted to go. She really didn't know what it was about. You know, was it going to be like Ratchet, reality TV? 
And I think that Boots encouraged her to go because he knows me and was like, mom, it's cool. You should go, blah, blah, blah. And she was so happy afterwards. She's like, I'm so glad that I came because she got to meet all the other Philly boxing moms, right? Jesse Hart's mom, Sonny Canto's mom, the Dornos and everybody else that was there. And um, so, yeah, we keep in touch. And I would love, love to do her on, on like her own episode, you know, being so that all of her boys were fighters and, and, you know, she runs the house. I mean, people think Fozzie is the boss. Let me tell you something. It's her. <laughs> I, I, I would imagine you got a, a you know a ton of <clears throat> a ton of calls coming out you know people coming out of the wood, woodwork you know that m- mothers are wanting to be a part of it probably probably people yeah. that you haven't even thought about you so I'm sure I, you... I didn't even know that they knew me or followed me honestly but you know it's it's relatable and most and a, listen I know a boxing mom you know she lives in the projects and she works double shifts and everything because her son, he only has like eight or nine fights. They're not making any money right now when they got, you know, you see them fighting on TV or an app and you think they made it. No, you know, she's still working double shifts, two jobs, making ends meet to make sure he can pursue his, his dream to kind of get to the top. Those are the moms that I want to show. Let me see if I can make you cry here. Cause I know you, I know you talk about crying a lot. How much, uh, Robert Cartagena, how much would it mean to Michelle to promote a boxing event in your native Puerto Rico? That's not going to make me cry. Uh, I thought you would get all, okay, all right. No, no, no. Now, if you said promote a show in Puerto Rico with Tito Trinidad, then I would have probably cried. Okay, so I get get half a point then. Yeah, yeah. If you wanted to, like, co-promote with me. Or hey, that's not a bad idea. So that's why you got to come I on. I need the somebody show to get me his number. I need yeah. to holler at Tito. There, there you go. So, uh, all right. So, listen, uh, yeah. I get, I get the biggest high and the most emotional when I talk about Philly boxing, honestly, because it is a tough city. It's a gritty city. There's so many good fighters. You know, showing up to the arena with a packed house, a sold-out crowd. That's not easy, even if it's. 13, 1,400 people, whatever it is, that's not easy to do in Philly. Not at all. Mm-mm. Not, 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 not at all. All right, if you want me, we'll just, uh, unless you got anything else you want to get out there about anything that you got going on, we'll, I'm going to switch to some uh, some mainstream boxing topics. Anything else out there you want to get out there? No, about? I mean, right, right now I've just been staying in touch with Greg Serb, you know, getting updates for from, you know, what the governor is planning. And I did see today that June 4th that Philadelphia is going to move into like the yellow phase, Mm -hmm. which doesn't mean that we can do shows with a crowd. But if you could do a show with no audience that, you know, you'd probably be allowed to do that. But us real promoters, the middle class promoters, you know, we live off of the live gate. So if there is no gate, how do you pay the fighters? How do you pay the bills? How do you pay the liability and the insurances and, and everything? So you know, without either a TV package or a crowd, you know, unless you're willing to lose a whole lot of money just because there's, that's really not going to work. However, I am in talks with two different networks about buying the show. And right now we're in negotiations for August. So June is out of the question. July is still going to be, you know, maybe shaky, 
but I think, I think August is going to happen. I have like a really good feeling about it. I had some good phone calls today and I just got to wrap up some numbers and wrap up a proposal. And I, I want it for Stevie Ortiz and I want it for Damon Allen. This ain't about me putting money in my pocket. This, this is, like I said, I've already lost money that I'm not going to get back. I need that show to happen. I need those guys showcased. I need them on TV. I need it to happen for them. So we'll, we'll end this segment on, on some good positive breaking news from, from Michelle. So let, let's get into some, uh, and, you know, obviously Michelle, okay. she's one of the uh, premier, uh, uh, I guess, tweeters on Twitter about boxing, everything that's going on. So, uh, uh, you know, what we'll let you um, articulate some stuff. Uh uh, obviously, some Hold of the. Uh oh, we got going on I here. I gotta turn the light on. I gotta turn the light on. It's getting dark here. That's okay, okay. That's what I love about live TV here. We we're <laughs> getting all domesticated. Getting all domesticated now with Michelle. Uh, so obviously, uh, some of the fights uh, were you know have been canceled, postponed, pulling the you know been tabled or whatnot. Uh, coming out of the break, um, two or three fights that you want to see happen, you know, on the major level. Um, I was really looking forward to Lomachenko and Tiafimo Lopez. I want his mom on Boxing Moms. She'd be a riot on there. I, that would have been the perfect time to get her. Um, I was really looking forward to that. Believe it or not, I was okay with the Wilder Fury third fight, you know, and I felt like it would be big. It would be and big. I was looking forward to doing a Raging Bay brunch on that fight. Uh, let's see what other fights went up in smoke. You know, I thought that the Maurice Hooker and Regis Prograce fight was an exciting be good. fight for sure. That Absolutely. was going to be good. Um, throw some at me. Um, see here. Uh, you know, we go down. We'll go go down the the weights. Obviously, we talked heavyweights. Uh, you know, we, we so we'll, we'll, we'll go down some of the weight classes. We obviously we talked Water and Fury. Where does a uh, Joshua, he's going to most likely fight Pulev. And uh, do you think the, the winners of these fights will fight each other? Or, or do you think that we're yeah. going yeah. think, you, so you, to you, yeah. you think that will, will happen? Listen, Eddie Hearn, he makes it happen. You know, and what's good about Eddie Hearn, it's not good about everybody, but his ego actually does help him. Like, he's going to get it done. He's going to make it happen. You see what he's doing right now over there across the pond where – He's going to do fight camp, and he's going to start doing shows in his backyard. Well, hold on, he's well, going to get it done. You, you should take the camera. What's your backyard? Can, 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 we, do, can we do that at the Rosados? I don't have a backyard. I'm nope. in a little apartment here. No, ba- no, backyard. no, no, oh, no backyard. I'm just trying to give you some ideas. No. You know? <laughs> but, I mean, he's got, like, a castle, and he's like, we're going to do fights in my backyard in the back of the castle. I mean, listen, he wants to be that guy that gets it done. So yeah, jo- and and Joshua, yeah, if, if you, whoever wins Fury Wilder, I'm sure they're gonna, and he's gonna probably want it to go to you know like Dubai, or it's gonna be like some extravagant thing with fireworks, and you know he's just gonna do it all up. Super middleweight, uh, obviously two guys who've been circling Ooh. each other for, for for the last year. You know where I'm going with this, yeah. Caleb Plant and. Uh, uh, David I, Benavides. I was gonna say, say your neighbor. I love that fight. Your neighbor, David Benavides. Uh. Yeah, yeah. He's originally from Phoenix. I remember when he was just this little fat, pudgy, you know, like twelve-year-old in the gym. He was like a heavyweight at one point. He Lost was a lot of huge. Weight. He was the cutest thing. He's the sweetest kid. 
I can't believe he's a fighter today. Like his older brother, Junior, mm -hmm. Jose Benavidez, he mm -hmm. was the fighter. He yep. was the 11-time national Golden Glove winner. He was the one getting signed by top rank with a six-figure signing bonus. And, you know, David would just be in the gym. Like, and to see him now a world champion, I'm like, this is the same kid who ate, like, you know, five hot dogs in the gym. You know, it's, it's unreal to me. And he's really good. He's act I think he's actually better than his brother now. So, yeah. um, yeah, I love the Caleb Plant fight. I, I love great I love style matchup, Ter yep. terrific style yep. matchup. And mm -hmm. sticking around the same weight class, obviously, the guy who drives the bus, so to speak, in the sport, Canelo, Canelo. Alvarez, against, uh, you know, I don't know if we're gonna get Saunders or Golovkin first. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? I'm over it. Oh, which one I'm are you over? over? It. Both of them. I mean, I think really Joe Saunders is a dick. <laughs> and I think that, you know, he's just so annoying and the stuff that he did, that whole domestic violent, yeah, violence not video a good he look. put out. Yeah, retarded. I would actually prefer to see, and you know, the whole Golovkin thing over it. Like, I, I really don't need to see that one again. Um, what I would like to see is Canelo versus Demetrius Andrade. That's the fight that's intriguing to me, but I'm more like of a boxing head. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the casual probably wants to see the Golovkin fight again. But me, I'd rather see Canelo and Andrade fight. Or or one of the Charlos. What's the bigger one? Jamal, Jamal, whatever his name Jamal, is. Jamal's the middleweight, yes. Yeah, yeah, but I still like the Andrade fight the best. I, I guess one, one of the things that have has come out um, of this nothing to do for the last uh, – 11, 12 weeks has been the uh, has been the uh, Twitter war between uh, Devin Haney, Tiafimo Lopez, Cervante Davis. They've you know it's uh, that is so funny. I mean I I, I, that's him. that's probably been the most entertaining thing that's going on while while the boxing well, has listen, been down. While boxing has been down, every fighter has called each other out. None of them want tune ups. All of them are ready to fight anybody, anywhere, anytime. I can't wait until things open back up. I can't wait to see these great fights that we're going to We're not. They're all going to get tune-ups. They're all going to get layups. But they're talking real heavy, you know, and it's like, damn, I hope one of them, you know, backs it up. But, you know, I think it's funny, you know, Tiafimo called Devin Haney, like, the email champion. You know, he, he's the WBC champ, and he hasn't had to fight for the belt yet. So that's interesting. Um, and then what are some of the other funny things? You know, Tank is always in his feelings. Javante Davis, like you say one thing about him, he snaps. He's always like real emotional. I actually, um, I saw a tweet the other day where, you know, Devin Haney has been seen training with Floyd. Mm -hmm. And I guess Tank don't like that too much. You know, he's a little salty about it. So, I mean, it's just funny. I mean, these guys on social media, it's just mm -hmm. like too much. And, and, and it looks like um, Gervonta will probably fight Leo Santa Cruz in Davis's mm -hmm. first uh, pay-per-view four-way as a uh, headliner. What are your thoughts on him? And obviously he sold tickets in three or four different cities. Gervonta Davis is a pay-per-view attraction. Yay or nay on your part? Um, listen, I don't think anybody's a pay-per-view attraction besides like maybe like Manny Pacquiao. Oh, Canelo. You know, like, Canelo could oh, be. Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot yeah. about Canelo. Yeah, yeah, I forgot. Yeah, yeah definitely Canelo. I forgot about mm -hmm. him. But everybody wants to put all these fights on pay-per-view. Like, dude, 90% of them are not pay-per-view worthy fights. You know, it just, they should be on regular TV. They, they should be for all people. I, 
but I get it. The fighters get paid more money, which is great for them. So yeah, they have to make up for that some way, somehow. You got put on paper. But dude, Devonta Davis and Leo Santa Cruz is not a pay-per-view fight. Earl Spence and Sean Porter was not a pay-per-view fight. Uh, it's just like, I get it where they're going with it, but everything's on pay-per-view now. What makes a pay-per-view fight special? They're all on pay-per-view now. I won't ask you. I will say this, but I will say this about Gervonta. Um, I think he's really strong. I think he's a decent fighter. I think what he does lack is, you know, like the whole discipline and his weight. And Leo Santa Cruz keeps on calling Tank out. So Leo sees something. He knows something. It's not like he's just looking for a payday. So I think Tank needs to take this fight real serious. Yeah, I mean, Santa Cruz, I mean, he's been around for, like, ever, but he's not old. I mean, he's not an old guy. Yeah, he fights, so. like, once a year, twice a year. They, they, he's been preserved. <laughs> you just mentioned Spence and, you know, him fighting uh, Sean Porter, not a pay-per-view fight. One fight that it would have to be a pay-per-view fight would be his fight, a potential fight against Terrence Crawford. What, what would you, your thoughts on how that fight would play out? Well, that that is, like – my dream fight right now. If you told me if I can make any fight in boxing right now, that is the fight that I'd like to see. I think everybody knows I'm a huge Terrence Crawford fan. For years, when he was rocking the dreads, I used to tell people that that boy was nasty. Um, I think he beat Spence, not just because I love Terrence, but I do think he is more skillful. Um, I think that Spence is the bigger guy. I think he's stronger, but I think that Bud can box his ass off. I think he's much smarter in the ring. He's got a higher IQ, in my opinion. I'm picking Crawford. It'd be a tre- tremendous fight. And I think, obviously, I think, obviously, with, with what happened before we stopped with the Fury and, and Wilder fight, everyone worked together, everyone played nice, and everyone realized what could happen. I have a, I have a feeling that after um, – Spence, I, I would imagine he's going to fight Danny Garcia next. That's what we're that, – That's the, what it looks like. That's where all the tea leaves. I guess Crawford, I don't know, what you know, especially on the top rank side, I don't know if they can make a Sean Porter fight. I know that was, you know, what was blowing in the air a little mm-hmm. bit both before and, and, and in the last month, six weeks. I, I mean, Porter said he wanted the fight. So, we'll see. I would imagine that fight could possibly be made – you know, a fight or two down the road. What, what do you think? I, I think so too. And, you know, I spoke to some people from top rank and people on the PBC side when they, when they did that Wilder Fury fight, because, mm-hmm. you know, in public, they all say, Oh yeah, it was great working together. But then you start asking people behind the scenes to get the real tea. And guess what? They all said the same thing. It was good working together. Mm-hmm. They got along. There was no crazy egos. They got it done. And I was like, yo, that's a good sign. Because when both sides say that, because they could easily start biting each other's back in, like, oh, F them, they were this, they were that. Nobody on either side said that about each other. So that gives me hope that maybe moving forward, we can see some top-ranked PBC matchups more. Absolutely. Uh, now, any, any, any other fights at that level, uh, 140, 135? I know, I know uh, the other night I was talking with uh, – undefeated 130-pounder Eric DeLeon who fights for top rank. And when I was doing the research, 130 pounds, especially on the top rank side, is going to get very interesting with Burchell and Oscar Valdez. Oh, Shakur, I love that one. Shakur Stevenson is going to make his 130-pound debut, it seems like now, on June 9th. 
Uh, and they just signed Andrew Concio. They have, you know, a couple other guys, Carl Frampton, Jamel Herring. So, and so, those, are, so those, those are under one umbrella, those fighters. Mm-hmm. So I feel like Al Heyman and PBC, they have like that whole 154-pound division and the 47 division where they could just all fight each other and it would be good fights. And I think that's what top rank has going on with the 130s right now. I love Valdez Burchelt. Both of them are saying that they don't want tune-ups. I mean, we'll see. You know, it just, I guess, depends how long this pandemic lasts. Mm-hmm. But that's going to be a fire fight. And I would love to do that fight in Tucson. Valdez is from Tucson. Burchelt is from Mexico. The Nogales border is right there. That would be so crazy in Tucson. Um, yes, I mean, I think we have a lot to look forward to with what you got going on, hopefully August now, hopefully, as, as hopefully. you, you broke, 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 yeah. broke the news. Uh, anything else? Uh, obviously, I think everyone in, in the world knows where they can find you, but, but give your uh, social media um, addresses so people, the, the, the two or three people that aren't following you can finally follow you. You can follow me at Raging Babe, and that's on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. There you go. Michelle, thank you for a few minutes of your time. And before your before the show hopefully happens in August, we'll get you on again and we'll uh for we'll sure. try to we'll try to promote the hell out of this thing. All right. Thank you. You have a great night. Thank you very much. Good night. Bye.